in our Bibles to the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And in this chapter, the Levites are confessing God's goodness and power. Nehemiah chapter 9. Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one-fourth part of the day. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, Jeshua and Benai, Kadmiel, Shevaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Banai, and Kenai, and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, and Kamiel, and Benai, and Hesh of Naiah, Shevabiah, Hodijah, Shevaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up. And bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Thou art the Lord, the God who didst choose Abram and broughtest him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gavest him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee and madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and has performed thy words, for thou art righteous. And did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heardest their cry by the Red Sea, and thou shewest signs and wonders upon Pharaoh, and on all his servants, and on all the people of his land, for thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them. So didst thou get thee a name as it is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And their persecutors thou threwest into the deeps, as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments, and true laws, and good statutes, and commandments, and madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, and statutes, and laws, by the hand of Moses thy servant, and gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger, and broughtest forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks and in their rebellion 
appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. Yea, when they made them a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee out of Egypt and had wrought great provocations. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them, and withheldest not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. Yea, forty years did thou sustain them in the wilderness, so they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations, and didst divide unto them in corners, so they possessed the land of Sihon, and the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children also multipliest thou as the stars of heaven, and broughtest them into the land concerning which thou had promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. So the children went in and possessed the land, and thou subduest before them the inhabitants of the land, and the Canaanites, and gavest them into their hands with their kings, and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities, and a fat land, and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance so did they eat and they were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy, thy great goodness nevertheless they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee and they wrought great provocations Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies who vex them and into the hand of their, in the time of trouble when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven and according to thy manifold mercies thou gavest them saviors who judged them, who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee Therefore leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies, and testifiest against them, that thou mightest bring them again unto thy law. Yet they dealt proudly, and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, and withdrew the shoulder, and hardened their neck, and would not hear. Yet many years did thou forbear them, and testified against them by thy spirit in thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the land, Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the terrible God, who keepest covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee, that thou hath come upon us on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people, since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. Howbeit, thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, and we have done wickedly. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies, wherewith thou didst testify against them. 
for they would not have served thee in their kingdom and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them neither turn they from their wicked works. Behold, we are servants this day and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle and at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant, and we write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. So far the reading of God's word. Lord's Day 10, page 7 in the back of your Psalters. We are looking at the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And now, what is called providence. Question 27. What dost thou mean by the providence of God? Answer. The almighty and everywhere present power of God whereby as it were by his hand he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Question 28, what advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things? Answer, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 10 is a beautiful, practical treatment of God's marvelous truth. That the Lord who created all things is the same Lord who rules and provides for all things. And what we really have in Lord's Day 10 is a covenantal treatment of that doctrine of providence. Covenantal, that is, you have there the Father in heaven who cares for his children. Who leads them, who guides them. How beautifully the Levites pointed that out to the Israelites in the chapter that we read. How God took them out of the land of Egypt, rescued them, and gave them a land. When they were sinful, he would chastise them. He would give them over to the nations. But then when they cried out to him, he would help them. What a friend we have in our God. What a friendly relationship that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Ursinus, in his commentary, defines providence, and I quote, providence is the eternal, most free, immutable, wise, just, and good counsel of God, according to which he affects all good things in his creatures. He permits also evil things to be done 
and directs all, both good and evil, to his own glory and the salvation of his people, end quote. So we look at the truth of divine providence. First point is God's hand. Second of all, the scope of his work of his hands. And then thirdly, the benefit of the work of his hands. By his hand. What a beautiful picture our catechism instructor uses. Boys and girls, look at your hand. The hand that you do a lot of things with. Or the hand of your parents who care for you and lead and guide and protect you. We are thinking of our God in heaven by his hand caring for us. Now, we know that is a figure because God is a spirit. God does not have eyes. God does not have hands. But it is using that picture so that we may associate the hand of our parents caring for us how much more than the hand of our God. So what does providence mean? It means the hand of God. It means our dependence then upon that hand of God. God upholds us as it were by his hand. When you boys and girls were real young, you could hardly stand up or walk, and your parents would give you not just one finger, but they would take your whole hand in theirs, and they would lead you. They would help you walk, wouldn't they? Well, all things come to us by God's hand. We have no independent status Every creature is dependent upon the Creator. What is pictured here is not only our dependence, but second of all, an intimate relationship between God and creation. God is not, and the creation is not ruled by some kind of fickle, dark power that determines our lives, but rather a hand a living hand, a Father's hand. And by faith, we can see that hand all around us in nature as God cares for the creatures, but we also experience that hand in our lives, don't we? How wonderful it would be for us if we would spend the time like the Levites did there, tracing God's hand through their history if we would trace God's hand in our lives. Trace God's hand caring for us when we were real young and as we grow older, as we mature, and finally we get old and feeble. God's hand leading, guiding, caring for us, upholding us. So what do we mean then by the providence of God? I want to spend some time, first of all, negatively to understand what those who do not believe in the Bible, do not love the Lord, what they think of providence. Really astounding what they think. Providence, they would say, is not that God sees and knows all things ahead of time, but is unable to do anything about it. That's the view of some people. It's called the deists. The deists believe that God created all things, but then God leaves creation up to itself. And who knows what God does in the meantime, but you are really left all up to yourself to take care of yourself. For others, providence means merely that God sees beforehand and no more than that. So in other words, God is just a great clairvoyant. He sees all things beforehand that will come to pass, and he lets those things then be foretold by his prophets. Merely looks ahead. 
providence, second of all, is not that God merely sees ahead and then runs there to correct things so that when things go smoothly, God is out of the picture, but when things are going rough, then God comes to help out. What a terrible view of providence that would be. Then, then you would have a God who's not relevant. He would be like the fire truck that is needed to put out a fire at your house, but you don't need that fire truck every day. You only need it when you're in trouble, when your house is burning down. That kind of God would only be needed in our lives when we have troubles. Thirdly, providence is not that someone, we go to someone with our plans, with our ideas, our ideas and our plans that we have conceived in our own mind and serve our own purposes, well then, if that was the kind of God we had, he would be no better than a genie in a bottle. We pull the genie out whenever we want something and then he enables us to do it. There are those who speak of providence with a capital P. You really, really, rarely hear any speech about God from them, and not, especially not about God our Father in his fatherly hand, but rather providence is just some higher power, which could be Allah, it could be Buddha, it could be Woden, it could be Thor, it could be fate. It's just something out there that runs the world. A power. A power that you can't master, but you have to just put up with. The Stoics insisted that all things were controlled by fate. Amongst the Greeks and the Romans, there were a lot of what were called Epicureans. They believed that the world is governed purely by chance. Their slogan would be, what will be, will be. The future is not ours to be. We're left to ourselves. That's all. Trust in yourself. You can do whatever you want to do. Providence is also not. God rulings like a despot, a tyrant, or an arbitrary rule. Many earthly kings would be like that. Depends on what day you would come to them. Maybe they would nod in agreement with you, but you never knew. They also might not agree with you. Many rulers do whatever tickles their fancy at the moment. How cruel. So you don't know what, what's going to happen. And finally, there is the Pelagian heresy that maintained the unrestricted freedom of the human will. It's up to you what you will want to do and what you will do. Augustine, in the latter part of the 4th century, taught in a systematic way that everything was under the sovereign, wise, and living God of the Scriptures. Everything. God controls. God directs the evil as well as the good. The church in the Middle Ages departed from that teaching. And that was not recovered again until the Great Reformation. So what is providence? It is that continued and continual exercise of God's divine power by which God the Creator, the Lord of all things, preserves all his creatures, acts in all that takes place in this universe, and directs, directs all things to their appointed end. There is a divine 
plan with a purpose. God eternally, outside of himself, planned all things. And now in history, God is carrying that out. And that's what the picture there in the book of Revelation is also. There is that book there with the seven seals, and the question comes, who is worthy to open it up and to carry out the will of God? And you remember how the answer is, there's no one worthy except the Lamb, the Lamb of God that was slain. He is worthy. Do you see the picture? God, by his Christ now, seated at his right hand, is ruling all of the world and its history in his power. He is making sure that everything goes according to his Father's eternal plan and purpose. So the church and the world are not some toy of blind fate or arbitrariness. The Lord rules, the Lord directs, the Lord controls. And that's why, boys and girls, probably in school, you heard that history, and think of that, how it's spelled, history is really his story. History is like these Levites who are recounting all that God has done for them as a people from creation through their whole history in the land of Israel. And what a beautiful emphasis that is there in Nehemiah's day. For you'll remember how because of their sin they were sent down to Babylon, but God didn't forget them, did he? Seventy years they were there, and then God in his providence uses a wicked Cyrus, the king of Persia, to decide to let the people go back to their own lands again. God. God with his hand. God who is almighty. God who is everywhere present. Maintains, rules, governs. And the joyful thing, the comfort in that is that this God with his hand who rules all things because you're my father in heaven. In other words, he rules all things not impulsively, but he rules all things according to a well-defined plan where he is going to be glorified and where his church is going to be saved. God, by his hand, upholding us, leading us, guiding us, preserving us. Can we always see that plan of God in our lives? No. If I would take one of my socks, or if I would take a pattern, and you would look at the back side of it, you would find strings all over the place, wouldn't you? You wouldn't see the pattern that is on the other side. Well, we can... Use that to understand our lives. Strings all over. This happens, this happens, this doesn't happen, this happens. But there is a design in God's mind. A design for each one of us as his children. There's a purpose in all things. The salvation of his church, but also leaving the world without without an excuse. Because God, by his hand, rules. In the book of Revelation, God sitting on his throne, and there's lightning, and there is thunder, and there are voices, and there are trumpets, and there are vials in the book of Revelation. But it all takes place because there is that throne that comes first in the book of Revelation. God's hand sitting on the throne, working all things together for good to them that love him. 
God working all things so that he is glorified. So that we, like the Levites, as they went through their history, this is what God did. Yes, God would chastise us, but he was so merciful, he never forsook us. Providence. Three items. Number one, preservation. God continually preserves and upholds and sustains and gives being to everything from moment to moment to moment. Matthew chapter 6, he gives food to the birds in the air. He clothes the grass and the flowers with beauty. And as spring comes soon, again, we're going to see that hand, aren't we? Green grass, leaves on the tree, beautiful flowers in the garden. And then we say, this is my Father's world. After the deadness and the cold of winter comes springtime and then summer and then harvest. God preserves all things. Number two, providence means God's government of all things. That is God controls, God guides, he rules every creature from moment to moment. Everything is as God wills it to be. Because his purpose is going to be carried out. Yes, even in the way of sin and disobedience. How does the line of David flow down to finally Jesus Christ? Look at some of the figures in that whole line. Those who were involved in terrible sin and disobedience. The sin and disobedience of David taking another man's wife. And yet she is one of the great grandmothers of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is king. That's the idea. There's no dualism. It's not God and the devil fighting back and forth, but God rules over all. And as Luther would say, the devil is God's devil. God works with all things. Ephesians 1 verse 11, who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. So we have God's preservation of things. We have God's ruling over all things. And then what, young people, what your essentials book puts forth and Reformed theology, cooperation. Now, what is that? Cooperation. Not that God and us do something. It's this. That God uses instruments. God uses men and angels and devils and sinful instruments in such a way that his will is accomplished, even while God's not the author of that evil. God's will is always accomplished. We know that from the Bible, don't we? Job is going to be tested. God uses Satan to bring terrible things in his life. The devil was God's tool. Or go to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. How is it that the Lord Jesus Christ was put on that cross for your and my salvation? He was taken by wicked hands, Peter says in his sermon, according to the foreknowledge and the determinate will of God. God used Satan. God used the wicked priests and scribes so that his son would be nailed there on the cross in our place for our salvation. How is it that God cared for his people when there would be a terrible famine in the land? By the wicked sons of Jacob, they sold their brother into slavery. And what does, what does Joseph say? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What does that mean? It means that in history, 
God is not an idle spectator just sitting back and watching and doing nothing. It means that when we do fall into sickness or when we have a loved one that is ripped away from us, it is not poor God standing back and sorrowful, unable to do anything. You say, wow, is that comfort? It's God then that causes us to be sick? It is God who takes away a child from us or a spouse from us? Yes, it is comforting. Because the alternative is when all these bad things come, and they are Christians that say this, when bad things come in our life, that's all by Satan. And poor God is standing there doing nothing. That's not the teaching of the Bible. It is God who sold his people into the heathen nations around them to chastise them. We're not in the hand of Satan who would like to squash us like a bug. But we are in the loving hands of our God who is molding and shaping and caring and leading us all of our life. God. Preserving, ruling, using all things in history and in the world for his glory. So what is the scope? That's my second point, isn't it? What is the scope of God's providence? And our catechism instructor says, it's all-embracing. God upholding, God governing hand touches everything. The great things in the world, but also the small things in the world. In the universe, the sun rising in the morning and setting at night. The moon and stars that come out at nighttime. The storms that sometimes come, whether it be tornadoes again this past week, or famines. In God's hand. Boys and girls, do you remember the story in the Bible when Jesus and his disciples are in a boat and there's a terrible storm there on the sea? And the disciples are afraid. And they wake up Jesus, carest thou not that we perish, they say? Jesus speaks a word, peace. And all of a sudden the sea is flat like a pancake. There's no wind blowing any longer. And the disciples marvel, who is this that even the sea obeys him? And the answer is, it's our God in Christ Jesus. All things, but even the small things. The number of hairs on your and my head. Some of the tests that maybe you kids have to take tomorrow at school. Maybe it's that girl that you young men are trying to get the nerve up to ask out for a date. All of it controlled by God's providence. So big things, small things, special things. When all of a sudden the earth opens up and Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their families are swallowed up. Or as we read from Nehemiah, the manna that came from heaven, or the water that came out of a rock. Special things, but also common things. The wind that howls around our houses here. The warm sunshine that warms us up. The food on your my table. Matthew 6. If God cares for the birds of the air and the flower of the field, how much more will he not care for you, oh, you of little faith? Trust in him. God's, the scope of God's work, of his providence, are in pleasant things, but also unpleasant things. Yes, prosperity. It's not our hand that gets it. But it's God who gives us the health to do it. God gives us the abilities to do that work. And God blesses it. 
but also the unpleasant things, adversity that comes in our life, sickness that comes in our life, death that comes, accidents, those too, those too, they are God's hand for our good. Do we always understand it? No, we don't. But we trust. He's our Father. He loves us, and He works all things together for good to them that love him. What is the scope of God's providence? It's his people, his people that are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ to walk by faith. But the scope of God's providence is also the wicked out there as they live and move in greater and greater disobedience or rebellion. We read, don't we, that Pharaoh was hardened by God. That Cyrus was moved by God to let Israel to go back to Palestine. And even the Antichrist who is going to come, God sovereignly rules that he will come on the scene of history at a certain time and he will also be cut off at a certain time. What is the, sc- uh, the scope of God's providence? Beloved, it is each one of us individually. God knows our name. He knows our frame. He knows what's good for us. He knows how to care for us. But the scope of God's providence is also collectively God's people together. God who brought Nick to our church as a member each one of us, collectively in God's providence, God is leading our congregation and our denomination. And God cares for the nations, what they do. The evil nations that make their bigger and bigger kingdoms and ultimately they topple for another kingdom and they will all be removed, won't they? They will all be removed finally And there will only be the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That was the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. What a scope. All things, all embracing. Everything in your and my life. Preserved, ruled, and cared for by our God. That brings me to my third point then. What is the benefit of knowing this doctrine, the providence of God. Number one, he works all things well. No mistakes. He works all things according to his purpose, and his purpose is always his glory, and his purpose is always the gathering and the preserving of his church. What a God. And what is the purpose of God's providence for the wicked? And the fruit of God's work is the hardening of their hearts. That is, they see God's hand, but they refuse to bow before it. In fact, they use God's hand as an excuse for their life of sin. They are filling up their cup of iniquity. We read that in Psalm 73 and are destroyed. What is the meaning of God's providence for God's people, for you and for me? It is peace and comfort. The great God who holds all things in his hand is my Father who loves me, who cares for me, who preserves me, who at times will not be necessary to chastise me, training us as his children. Isn't that a beautiful chapter there in Nehemiah? These people that God brought out of Babylon back in their homeland soon again turning their back on God. And so the Levites read God's hand, all of their history, all of their life, caring for them, 
never, never forsaking them. So what does faith in God's providence, what does it produce in you and me? It produces, first of all, thankfulness, isn't it? Thankfulness. When you come to your table pretty soon, and it's set there with all the good food in front of you, are you thankful? Are you thankful not only for the food, but are you thankful for the hands that have provided it, have made it ready for you? Are you thankful to the God who has given it to you? How many blessings do we enjoy? Food, drink, clothing, shelter. And then think of all the spiritual blessings that we have. Forgiveness of our sins. The righteousness of Christ accounted to us, imputed to us. Eternal life. Friendship with God. We are thankful in prosperity. Aren't we? Or do we at times feel like our own hands have produced the things that we are enjoying? Are we at times like King Nebuchadnezzar who went uh, strutting around his big city and says, this is the city and these are the gardens that I have created? Are we sometimes like the rich fool? I'm going to work hard and I'm going to build bigger and bigger barns so that my future is secure. Thankfulness. Absolutely necessary. That thankfulness that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. My Father in heaven has given me all these things. And the Spirit then works in us so that we are thankful. We look. We look to the giver. Do you remember that story, boys and girls, of the ten lepers that Jesus healed? Only one. Only one turned around and came back to Jesus to thank him for what he had done. Faith produces thanks and joy in the giver, our God. And so as the psalmist says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits to me? You and I should say, who am I, Lord, that you give all these things to me? He is the blessed Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Father in heaven. So, what does this doctrine of providence lead us to? Thankfulness in prosperity to him. Patience in adversity. As the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Think a moment of poor old Jacob. What does he say? Few and evil have been the years of my life. Think of Job, when everything was taken away from him, his family, his livelihood, and his health. Adversity. The psalmist says, the days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. Jeremiah says, I am the man that hath seen affliction. Asaph, all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. David says, afflictions on the good must fall, and they also come upon me. And how hard it is then to be patient, to remain silent, that is to submit to the Lord's hand at those times when he leads us through those dark and painful experiences. Our whole sinful nature rebels against it. We would of ourselves say, why me, Lord? Why are you doing this? What right do you have to do this? And even anger. 
Left to ourselves, we would only shake our fists and curse. And we would say with Asaph, it is vain to serve God. But what God demands and what the Spirit works in us is patience in afflictions, in adversity. Why? Because that too is from God's hand. And he, by his word, teaches us of our own unworthiness. We don't deserve good things. But God, in his grace, gives us good things, but also turns evil for our profit, doesn't he? What does faith in God's providence work in us? How beautifully the psalmist says it in Psalm 34, Be still and know that I am God. Yes, may we, when we're on that bed of illness, when, we, when the Lord takes a loved one away from us, may we be silent. And may we be able to say with Job, God is good. And I know that when I die in my flesh, I will see him. Psalm 62, verse 5, my soul in silence waits for God. So, thankful in prosperity, patient in adversity, and what about the future? Do you know what's going to happen in the future? Do I know what's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen when we drive home? might be in an accident. I don't know. You don't know. But we trust. We trust because we know that we are in our Father's hand and he will work all things together for good. We're able to sing with the hymn writer, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul because my Father is holding me in his hand. You see, faith in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, produces rest and comfort, assurance. It is well. Oh, our faith is not always so strong, is it? We are tempted to get angry like Job's wife did, or even Job himself at times. May God strengthen our faith. May he cause us to see, as the Levites said to Israel, God's hand was leading them all the way, and that hand is good. Amen. Father in heaven, open our eyes so that we may see how big thou art, how powerful thou art, how wise thou art, how good thou art. We are so undeserving of it, but thou hast chosen us in Christ, and thou wilt work all things then for our good, for the good to them that love thee. Increase then our faith, so that as we wake up in the morning, we praise thee, and as we go to sleep at night, we're ready to praise thee again for thy hand that has cared for us each day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.